Bartenders are back. I'm joined by my dear friends once again, Jordan Coots and Caleb Clearman to talk a little NBA. Uh, way back when we did our NBA Bartenders podcast to compare every NBA team to an alcoholic beverage. And now in the spirit of the new year, we are going to be bringing you some resolutions for NBA teams. Gentlemen, how are we doing? Uh, we're good. We're actually together for this podcast sitting on my couch. So a little new dynamic. Yeah, normally yeah, good. normally we cover three three states, um, but but now it's just two. We're we're getting closer. Sure. Yep. <laughs> yeah. W- once you guys are, are no longer afraid of the East Coast, uh, we'll we'll finally get together. Dude, it's so far away though. It's also really cold. I can I can confirm. <laughs> let's let's do New Orleans first, and then <sighs> see what happens. Yeah, Caleb. What are you doing in February? Uh. No plants. There we go. All right. We'll talk off the air. Um, okay. So I think it's it's very fitting for, for us especially to, to be talking about um, New Year's resolutions uh, nine days into the actual new year. Um, it's fall, solid, you know, I don't know, 3% or 0.3% back behind where we're supposed to be. It's fitting, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, to be proactive about this and do them in December would have would have been extremely out of character for for people of our of our ilk. Um, so so we're here to talk about kind of uh, what NBA teams should be doing, things that they can do to to fix themselves, to change some things. Uh, but first, I'm curious, what are your guys' uh, real life New Year's resolutions, or is this a thought that has never occurred to you? Oh man, planning uh, <laughs> planning is something that I don't plan on ever doing. <laughs> so so resolution. <laughs> So the status quo, the status quo is your resolution. Yeah. So continue to be awesome. Okay. Wish you luck with that. Solution though. Uh, I'm trying to get on top of things quicker, mainly in the school department, like make resolutions nine days after new year's. Yeah. Killing it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got this, this new pen. It's, you know, it's like one of those quad pens. Whoa. Oh yeah. Yeah. Calm down. I, I don't know. I feel a little like the the limitless pill with that. I, I I can get just so much so much writing done of of things I need to do, and then no actual crossing off. So your New Year's resolution is to discover ink. Yeah, it's more to like create next year's resolutions. That would be that would be the direction I'm heading. It's like delayed nice. delayed procrastination. Yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> really reinventing the wheel here. So uh, we're gonna go through. Each each of us are going to go through five different teams, um, and we'll take turns on this to to go through and say, you know, what would the the New Year's resolution be for these teams to really change some things to to shake shake stuff up and uh, change the trajectory of these of these franchises? Most of them are struggling. I think we we decided to pick uh, some pretty pretty woeful franchises, and that should should make things fun. Uh, Caleb, you were up first, and we have you with this was your choice, and and I'm. More power to you for choosing this one. The Sacramento Kings. I'm, I'm really wondering what you think can be done to, to fix this woeful franchise. Uh, well, step one was moved to Seattle, but that's not going to happen. So uh, step two, I've actually watched like a weird amount of Kings basketball this year. I'm not really sure why. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was big on De'Aaron Fox in the draft, so early in the year I like wanted to see him play as much as possible. And he's part of my resolution, which is to play the kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, they brought in Dave Yeager, who I thought was a pretty good coach, but 
maybe we were learning that Memphis was just more of the team that was around him as much as what he was instilling in the players and what they were doing. Um, but then they, they made all these really weird signings and like brought in George Hill and Zach Randolph. And this is a team that's been in the lottery like the last 11 years. Um, and I don't think bringing in washed up George Hill and washed up Zach Randolph is going to make you into a playoff team. Um, so yeah, like I said, play the kids. I had some stats here about Sacramento's lineups and the lineup that they has played the most minutes for them is a combination of Bogdanovich, who is a good young player, Willie Cauley-Stein, who's been pretty good this year. I've been impressed with his improvement. And then the combination of George Hill, Zebo, and Garrett Temple, and their net rating is negative 15.5. Pretty and awful. I went, I went through the league looking at the other teams that have uh, their, their most – minuted lineup having a negative rating and the Kings are the only one. <laughs> and that's very negative. <laughs> so the team they trot out the most is also the, is the worst team in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, granted they do have, they have like the most lineups of anyone yeah. just because they play everybody, but just like throw the young guys out there and just let them play and figure stuff out. Like they're not going to make the playoffs anyways. So just let those guys get experience. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of see what like the Kings were trying to do. Um, maybe trying to incorporate some veterans around a roster full of young guys. But at some point, Caleb's right. Like you, you got to give them some experience and some minutes. Uh, there's no use drafting up if you're just going to keep them on the bench. Yeah, I mean the the kids in question in Sacramento. I mean, you got Fox, you got Josh Jackson, Scalabasier. Cully Stein, um, you know, Buddy Heald. There's a lot of just tweener guys. Fox is really the only guy. Maybe maybe Cully Stein that you're like, okay, there, there's a potential uh, star there. So it's it's tough to play them, obviously, but it's also like it's it's the veterans they got. Like George Hill and Zach Randolph, like those guys are just they're they're ball stoppers. They're not they're not the type of guys that facilitate the the kind of like. I don't know nurturing culture that that I think that you would you would expect when you get a veteran like that. So it, it makes sense, like Jordan said, like you get what they're trying to do, but it, it, it was it was just wrong. Like they they didn't do it right because um, like Zach Randolph isn't going to help Scalabissier, you know, figure out room to work in the post and 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 things like that. He might show him how to find a table at a strip club, though. Yeah, or traffic uh, weed. <laughs> yeah, what a great role model to bring into a young friend. Yeah, so even when the Kings do something that, that is seemingly, um, I don't know, smart or wise, it, it blows up in their face. Oh, boy. Uh, that is a team that, that has struggled basically our entire, like, sentient lives. Like, Yeah. Yeah, like, since, since Chris Webber, it's been awful. Right. They haven't yeah. made the playoffs since 2006. They're the Mariners. Yeah. Well, kind of. They might be worse than that. Yeah. Like currently. Yeah, the Mariners have at least made splashes. Like I, I don't like going to get like Adrian Beltre and Sexton. Uh, yeah. Is something. I don't know if the Kings have anything anything similar to that. Maybe Boogie. Yep. I don't know. Uh, yeah. And then traded him for Buddy Heald, who I don't know. He's not right. 
Yep. He doesn't really play, though, is the problem. Uh, so, yeah, the, the Kings are, are a mess. Um, and, you know, if you're going to have a mess, it might as well be a young mess and, and figure out what you have. So uh, I'm with you on that one, Caleb. Jordan, you got the your – I was about to say hometown, but that's not right. But we'll let you claim them. The hometown Bulls, um, what, what is their resolution? Um, yeah, so we kind of talked about the Bulls uh, a decent amount earlier in the year with how um, the trade went down with Jimmy Butler and all that, and I wasn't super keen on it. But some of the players have actually played pretty well. Um, and so my resolution for them is to develop talent and then kind of decide what you want to do for the year. Like if that, I think priority number one is to develop talent, uh, see what works best for them. And then if it's not working on the field, on the field, on the court, then tank by all means. But if it is, then why not for that eighth playoff? So develop that talent. Um, I really like Chris Dunn. I kind of have, but welling at Minnesota. Um, I think he's definitely their number one asset moving forward. I think I can say that. Uh, Levine, as good as I think he was in Minnesota as a scorer. I don't know what else he gives you, and he's also been hurt uh, the whole year. So when he comes back, see where he fits, and I don't know, see see if you want to keep him moving forward, or if if there's a suitor out there possibly for him. Um, so yeah, overall, just develop that young talent and see what guys you want to keep moving forward. But I kind of like where they're at actually. Which, if you told me this is the Bulls team we would get at the beginning of the year, I would have told you you're crazy. So my my parents their their kind of big resolution and I know both of them are listening is is to is to figure out what they need to get rid of in their house and there's there's a lot that they need to get rid of. Um, there, the, my mom was talking about she was she was cleaning out. Um, she's like I got rid of of a box of purses. This is this is not purses or or you know a purse. It is a box of purses that she got rid of, and I think I think that's a similar similar deal with the Bulls of, of just figuring out what you have, um, truly have as like franchise cornerstones or or you know pieces there, taking inventory and then and then moving on. Um, the one thing about the Bulls that I found was in, this kind of came out yesterday and a little bit today is that they're shopping Miritich. It sounds like yes. Detroit and Utah would potentially be interested. Um, I can't wait for Detroit to ruin him, by the way. Yeah. Well, the, like, looking at that from a Bulls standpoint, is like, what really are you going to get back from yeah. Detroit exactly. or Utah that's going to make you better? I'm sure Jordan has an answer on what they could get back from Utah that would, that would be helpful. Yeah, that would never happen. But um, if they got, I mean... Yeah, Te- they're, they're not going to get anything. teaser for, for for later in the pod there. Um, but but yeah, I, th- I think Mir- Miritich is is something you've already. Fi- I mean, the fact that you've gotten anything out of of him after the whole Bobby Portis uh, you know punch out situation uh, is 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 great news. And so if you can flip it into something something you know future oriented um, before those guys collide with each other again, great. Well, the, the thing with Miritich is, like, on a playoff team, I don't even know if he's, like, your third option on a good playoff team. No. 
right now he's kind of like the Bulls' first option. Easily. And just jacking all these shots and scoring a lot. But, like, where does that translate to a team in a playoff series that is going to need a third scorer? Yeah, I mean his his biggest asset right now is is the size and 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 the uh, even you know the volume is way up for him, but the the four sixty five from three right now, um, you got to capitalize on that value considering he's probably not a part of your long term long term plan there. Uh, so so yeah, I mean this this is a guy that it's it's it basically can only go down from here. So so turn it into something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'd be interested to see. It sounds like they do want to trade him, so I'd be interested to see what they do get in return. Definitely. So moving on, um, I'm up next. I took kind of my my, I guess now de facto I've, I've adopted them, the Boston Celtics, as, as my my ringer team to start this off. And I have two. One is one is serious, and one is not. Uh, the first one is to put LeVar Ball on the Celtics payroll because what he's doing to the Lakers is fantastic news uh, if you're a Boston Celtics fan uh, because the, the the Celtics own the Lakers pick if it falls in the 2-5 to five range. Right now it's exactly that. Um, so things are looking good if you can keep the Lakers where they are. And so some LeVar torpedoing would be would be fantastic uh, news if you're if you're the Celtics, especially looking and saying, hey, you need a center. Well, there's about six extremely good ones in this uh, in this upcoming draft class. What do y'all think about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Danny would be the kind of guy to pull a weird move like that. So. Yeah. Yeah, and LeVar <laughs> could definitely use the funds to help people actually get the shoes they paid for that's right yeah yeah that was that was the the not so serious one um although you know it's kind of the celtics for the last few years have had basically two teams they have their own that they're rooting for and then you know whether it's the nets or now the lakers a team that they are rooting against uh to, to acquire their draft pick so uh that's a that's a storyline to take take uh into consideration the, the one I really had here, and it's a pretty simple one because the, the, the Celtics are playing so well and kind of in the absence of expectations. When you don't have Gordon Hayward, uh, maybe not for this entire season, it's kind of hard to say, you know, go for it. You know, here's here's how you win a title. I don't know if that's, that's really in the works this year because you have a, a great team coming back next year with Hayward and all that. However, I do think it's important for the, 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 the future of the franchise and for this current team is essentially to pick one between Marcus Smart and Terry Rozier. All right, Smart is, is going to be a free agent after this season. Rozier will be one after next season. They're both similar players um, in terms of their intensity is, is, is great on the defensive end. They're limited offensively. Um, they can kind of, they're, they're a little bit bigger and can switch into ones and twos, but not really anything past that. So, the, the, you know, they're heady guards, they're, they're lead guards, but they're not really point guards. Uh, and having both is a, is a bit redundant. Um, if you have plans on going out and getting someone else in free agency. Yeah, I like that for them. Um, I think the thing you kind of got to look maybe past in this situation, um, most people might take smart maybe just on an emotional basis just because he is kind of like their leader, it seems like. Yeah. Um, but if you look past, past just that, um, maybe on paper you would take Rozier just just based on what he's done on the floor. Uh, that'd be really interesting to see if they did do away with Smart. The just the fan reaction, uh, what would happen there? Yeah, I mean that's that's a good question, Caleb. You had a, you had a point there. Oh, I was gonna say with 
losing Avery, Avery Bradley, they've kind of put, you know, guarding the ball-dominant point guard and being the guard stopper into Smart's hands this year. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's nowhere near as close to what Avery Bradley was at that. I mean, he's still very good one-on-one defender. I, I don't know if, you know, losing two guys like that back-to-back years is – I don't know what that would do for – their defense since they're so aggressive playing pick and rolls and you know not really switching they they like that guard to be able to fight through those yeah so i don't know two guys like that in back-to-back years might hurt a little bit right when you go from from three of those guys with bradley smart and rosier and you know you lose bradley and then you lose smart now you only have one it would kind of mean that you're shifting how you want to play defense, which I think is true. They want to get a little bit longer, uh, as you can see with the, the Tatum acquisition this summer. So it'd be interesting to see what they do as a franchise. I think if they if you see that they extend Marcus Smart this summer, that would tell you that Terry Rozier's days are probably numbered uh, and then vice versa. So should be interesting. Uh, Marcus Smart is doing a great job of tanking his own value, though. Shooting, shooting under 30% from three and under 35% from the field um, is certainly not getting him to the, the max level number that, that people were, were worried about this summer. Uh, but we shall see. Caleb, you are up next. We have you with the Nuggets. All right? What do, you, what do you got there? All right. The Denver Nuggets, my resolution was to get Nikola Jokic going. Um, at the end of the season last year, you know, they kind of just like handed him the reins and were like, here, you know, play in the high post, literally do whatever you want. Um, and then this summer went out and signed Millsap. And at the start of the year, those two guys were, it was kind of awkward at times, but you could see what the potential was. And then, you know, Millsap's been down for a while and Jokic has, I wouldn't say regressed, but I don't think he's taken the leap that a lot of people, including myself, thought he was going to. Uh, his shooting numbers are down a little bit. He's just been launching three-pointers this year, which is strange. I don't think that was something that the Nuggets really envisioned him doing. Uh, he's really good in the high post, you know, being a distributor. And I think moving forward, if the Nuggets are going to make the playoffs and, you know, be a tough out in the first round, that he's going to have to be a little better than he's been so far this year. Kushi, what do you think on that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Caleb. He he was kind of the talk of the town uh, last year. People were, I think, I might have talked uh, with you, Brandon, about this. Like, who would you take going forward, uh, Nicola or Kristaps? Um, and mm. that was up for debate. And I think if you look at their stats going into or this year, like, there's no question who would, who you would take going forward. Like, he just hasn't been the same player, it seems like. Um, but I think like, like Caleb mentioned, um, with Millsap out at least for another month, I want to say couple, like, yeah, yeah, at least right. Um, Jokic kind of has to carry that team. And then, um, once Millsap gets back, like once again, it's going to be finding that balance between those two players because Millsap for his size is another guy on that team who can really pass the ball. So there's, there's some redundancy there as well. 
Yeah, I like I like that um, that comparison, and you know, obviously that that conversation that you and I had between Porzingis and and uh, and Jokic probably came after a few Cuba Libres in in Puerto Rico. However, uh, it's it's still a valid point. It's a good point of of, of contemplation for how those players' careers are going. Uh, you've kind of seen Porzingis take this this sort of leap this year uh, into that alpha dog status. I don't know if we've seen that with with uh, with Jokic. It's kind of been a, a lateral step there. It has been re- reassuring, though, if you're a Nuggets fan, about how well Jamal Murray has been playing. Definitely. Uh, I was always pretty high on him. I thought he, he could be a really good player. And, I, you know, it's weird to say this. I think Millsap being out has kind of benefited him in a way. They've been able to just hand him the ball more and say, you know, we need you to score and be a distributor. Um but yeah, if they have those three guys back right before the playoffs and can figure it out, like that's going to be a really dangerous team in the first round in the West. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they have a lot of pieces. I, I was watching uh, um, uh, Gary Harris closely too because when um, oh gosh, who were you just talking about? Um, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray was struggling earlier in the year. I was like, all right, well, one of them has to has to be hot in order for them to even win a few games. And I was looking at Gary Harris's stat lines and they were terrible. Um, so the fact that they have both got it going later in the year is super reassuring. Um, and then like Will Barton's like been kind of a saving grace every now and again. Uh, he comes in and can light it up on occasion. So that's mm-hmm. also good to see. Yeah, I feel like Will Barton is getting close to that Jamal Crawford role where he's kind of a, a crutch uh, and kind of a, a like – I don't know. He's kind of a, a fill-in for an actual bench um, and just kind of a one-man scoring unit. There's nothing wrong with that, but when you're the Nuggets, you kind of want to develop that whole kind of second unit because you have so much of that young talent. Uh, when you have Barton, Barton's just going to get get his and, and, and keep you in games, uh, but you're not really developing those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it should be fun in, in Denver. They're, they're in the playoff uh, picture right now, um, but we, we shall see as that, that keeps going. Um, if they can kind of stay afloat and then get Millsap back, and hopefully those young guys have all figured it out so that when you add a player like that, it's kind of a, like a midseason acquisition, getting a player who just can fit as easily as, as Paul Millsap does. Jordan, you've got the Portland's finest trailblazers. What do you think about them? Uh, well, they've, they've kind of... Um, been below expectations this season. And um, so mine was basically just figured out. Um, and then the, the besides just uh, just a shot in the dark there, um, decide who you want to play in the front court on a regular basis. Um, Stotts liked, likes to do this thing where he plays all his players, but especially the front court players, uh, based on matchup, which I think is a good idea. I'm not honestly sure why more coaches don't do that, but I'm wondering if for this team, he's taken it to the point where it's delayed development of certain players or at least chemistry when you put the players together on the court. Um, Like some nights, I don't know, like Ed Davis won't get a minute and then other nights he'll play 25. And it's just kind of ridiculous in my mind that, um, like if a player is deserving of 25 minutes one game, how he doesn't play at all uh, the next. Um, right. It doesn't really give players a chance to get in a rhythm, um, which I think might be possible for some of these guys who you think have talent on this team. 
Yeah, I, I, it's been crazy how bad the Blazers have been on offense for a team that, that you know, throughout the Stotts era has been able to, I mean, especially when you have two of the best scoring guards in the league, you'd think that you can manufacture offense basically at will, and, and they are close to last in the league in points per possession. Right. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't hurt that, like, some of their guards, namely Lillard, have been out for extended periods of time, and then that puts them in a whole whole different uh realm there um and then like the guards are just small like when you play cj he's point guard size and then you play him next to napier like i don't understand how they guard anyone they i mean they kind of don't but um yeah it's it's easy to see how they could be lackluster on the defensive side of the ball but then the offense is a whole different enigma the, the defense has actually been a lot better this year than it has in years past right um and you, I mean, you—if I told you that the Blazers' defense was going to be much better at the beginning of the year, you would have thought, "Wow, well, that's going to be a really good team." Because right. the last few years, their offense has been super efficient and you know very high scoring. And my personal resolution for the Blazers is just consistency. Uh, Nurkic has been super inconsistent, and that was a guy that going into the year, a lot of Blazers fans were super high on, and a lot of. NBA people were super high on. Uh, I mean, they got him midway through the season last year, and he came in and really helped that team. And then this year he's just been, you know, one game he'll show us some spurts of what everyone thought he was going to be, and then he'll have multiple weeks where it's just like, what what is going on with this guy? Yeah, I think uh, if our if our friend Jared L was here, he would he would personally offer to to uh, to give Yusuf some post lessons. So that's that's one big resolution in, in Portland for sure is to to get him more established in the post and and get him going. But my question to you guys, what is uh what is Isaiah Thomas's? This is Isaiah Thomas, the the older one, the ex Pistons guard. What's his worst take? Is it is it that Damian Lillard is a bad leader? Or that Larry Bird is is only a, a or is only recognized for being good because he's white. All right, it's definitely the latter. Like that's just ridiculous. Like Larry Bird is one of the best players in NBA history. <laughs> I can I can almost see how he said that Damian Lillard doesn't appear to be a good leader, and it's just because he he leads by example, not by his speaking. Um, so I think it's it's misportrayed that. He's not an effective leader. Every player on the team backed him. Mm-hmm. Caleb, your thoughts on that one? Yeah, I I would agree with Jordan on that one. I think, you know, time and time again, Dame has said that he loves playing in Portland. He loves the city, loves the fans. Like, he wants to be the franchise guy there. Um, and I think behind closed doors, maybe he is a little bit more vocal and his expectations of guys, you know, he's – probably yelling in practice and letting guys know what they need to do. But yeah, on the court, he's just a killer. So it might not look like he's yeah. a leader, I guess. Go back and rewatch what, what Lillard did after hitting the, the shot against Houston and tell me, tell me that's not a leader right there. Um, uh, the, the, uh, the Larry Bird quote was, was at least in the heat of the moment. It was after a game uh, or like in a series, but this one is like, like uh, in a point of reflection and as a professional broadcaster for him to say that. Um, so it was, it was good to see the, the Blazers clap back at, at, at Isaiah. Um, D- Dame said something about how he was just swinging at a pinata with, without any blindfold on. So, uh, appropriate, appropriate criticism for, for Isaiah Thomas's comments. Yes. 
Yeah. Uh, I have the Rockets, who I have taken quite a liking to this year after finding their, their style unbearable uh, for the last couple of years. Harden Ball is, is kind of... I don't know. I don't know if it's out because it's still kind of the same thing, uh, but it's just more of a refined version of it. Um, they, they are they are second in the league in, in point differential. Uh, they're just an outstanding offensive team, much better on defense than they were last year. My thing with the Rockets is don't show the whole hand. Right, last year's Rockets team, I feel like you knew what their best was. This year's Rockets team, because of the acquisitions they made this summer, uh, I think that, that there's kind of a next level with them. So let me ask you two this. Uh, what is the, the Rockets lineup that has the best chance of beating the Warriors? Five-man lineup. Uh, well, right now I would probably have Gerald Green in it because that guy's just out of his mind the last few weeks. When, no, when not if... When Gerald Green's supernova <laughs> expires, uh, what is the, what is their best lineup? Uh, I I would say Harden and Paul is your backcourt, and then some combination of Capella, Tucker, Anderson, or Gordon. Mm. Interesting. That's yeah. Um, is this their their best lineup in general, or to beat the? to be Golden State or someone like that. Yeah, they're, they're Warriors Buster lineup. Mm. Um, I would put, yeah, I would put Harden and Paul out there. And then I'd throw Ariza and Capella. And then I would go with um, P.J. Tucker. So, so you were supposed to, to say a different answer, but that's okay. I, th- I think Capella, uh, I think Capella would have trouble staying on the floor against the, the the Warriors five. I think he has a very important role for them in the second and third quarters, um, kind of in that that Mozgov role with that with uh, you know how, how Timothy Mozgov kind of destroyed Golden State for a little bit that first year uh, in 2015 with the Cavs of just using his size. But I think with, when the Warriors have their best five on the floor, I think it ends up being Paul Harden, uh, Ariza, like you said, and then Lucas Harden, Bob Mute with Tucker oh, yeah. because, because they can switch on everybody and they're not completely at a size disadvantage um, other than with Durant. So, I mean, everyone has trouble with Durant, so that's okay. So I think that that is their, their best lineup to deal with them. That lineup has only played five minutes or eight possessions this entire year. And I don't think that that is an accident. I think that that, that is something that – that's why they got those guys. That's why they went and got, and got Tucker and got Luke Richard is to, to be able to switch like that. And they're not playing them all together for the purposes of not showing what that would look like. Um, that, that, that's my thought because I think that the, the Rockets are too smart um, to, to waste wins on that exposure to how that team would look when they all play together. Well, I was a big fan of the conspiracy that you came up with that you texted me last week about Harden and Paul taking turns sitting out <laughs> and that they're, they might be injured, but just like 10 games of one guy and then a couple of them together yep. and then 10 games of the other guy. And mm-hmm. I, I honestly think that has legs to it just to see what they can do taking turns. Um, but I mean, the, the best they've looked all year is when they're together and Paul is, you know, out there with that second unit for most of the time and then crunch time, they can play them together. That lineup is crazy good. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, the, the, to expand on that theory, and I'm glad you brought that up because that was another part of this, is that uh, Harden and Paul have only played 18 games together. Uh, there's been 17 games with just Harden, no Chris Paul, and now, as uh, as Jordan's fantasy team knows, James Harden is out for a couple weeks. Um, so, so those numbers are about to look pretty similar in terms of the games together, games with just Harden, and then games with Paul, about 50 or so games through the season. So um, I think that that's by design. Honestly, I think it's it's so easy when you're a good team in the in the league to to hide an injury and to, or, or not to hide an injury, but to, to overinflate an injury uh, to kind of figure these things out in the long season, to use that to your advantage to kind of figure these, these sort of lineups out. And so I think they want to kind of Eh, see what it's like to just have Harden dominate the ball, just just have Paul, um, so that when they get to the playoffs, they have all these different looks that they can they can give at people. Yeah, no, I think that's there's probably some truth to that. I think one thing that we might be overlooking a little is uh, just all the different lineups they can create because mm-hmm. um, they have Gordon and I didn't mention Luke Richard in mine, and then you throw in Capella. Ryan Anderson, like they can throw out, like they're 10 deep. They go 10 deep easily. Um, so that's kind of cool. You can give uh, a team like Golden State so many different different looks, um, mm-hmm. which I think you definitely need. Like you need so many bodies uh, to play a team like that. Yeah, and they got Nene and Tarek Black too that they, that they can they can trust and they have a specific role for. So I think Houston is, is way ahead of the game from where they were last year, obviously. Um, you know, Chris Paul helps with that, but I'm I'm just I'm excited to see how they're kind of manufacturing this this product that that can hang with Golden State because that is their ultimate goal. Do, do you think if Daryl Morey beat the Warriors but then got swept in the finals that he would be he would still be stoked? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's said multiple times this year that he like they are literally obsessed with beating Golden State. That's the only thing they're worried about. I think they could literally no show to the finals, like not show up because they're so they're partying <laughs> so hard in Houston, they wouldn't care. <laughs> oh man, yeah, that'd be something. <laughs> Should we talk about the Warriors now? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so my resolution for uh, the perfect team kind of hard to come up with a resolution, uh, but Steve Kerr has said this a few times in the last few weeks is to just stop making dumb passes and limit turnovers uh which sounds crazy because they're leading the league with 31 assists per game which is just an outrageous number um but they're currently 28th in the league with 16 turnovers a game and in their eight losses this year they're averaging over 18 turnovers a game so if they're in that you know, 15, 16, you know, even down to 14 turnovers a game, they're going to be really hard to stop. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny hearing Kerr talk about that again, because when, when Kerr took over um, with the Warriors after, after the Mark Jackson years, I think one of his first points when we got to practice is like, we're going to go right back to passing. Like you guys throw the ball around the court and you know, what leads to turnovers, but this pass has to be here. And if it's here, here's an open three versus if it's here, here's a turnover. Um, and so I think that was, that was one of the first things that he installed uh, is, is going to basics because of how much talent and shooting they had. So it's funny to, to see them, you know, coming off of, of 73 wins, then getting, getting Durant. And then now, you know, as the NBA champs um, still working on these sorts of things, uh, but it, but it just goes to show that that you know with this much talent, it really just comes down to if you if you don't shoot yourself in the foot, you're going to be fine. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like like Caleb kind of said, like almost the perfect style of team in this day and age. So it's hard to nitpick. Um, but yeah, if they could limit turnovers, like I don't think there's any any team that can beat them. Um, even with what Houston's done, even with the healthy San Antonio or Cleveland, um, yeah. I think does does Golden State's bench worry you? A little bit, a little bit, but I think Kerr has figured out now that you know in crunch time and when they need uh, to win, he knows who his six or seven guys are and just during the regular season he knows how important it is to keep everyone fresh especially when you're playing you know 30 extra games the last three years mm-hmm. going to the finals you know you're gonna need bodies late in june so playing these young guys getting them minutes now i mean ultimately helps in the long run yeah i think what maybe worries me more is just the piling on of injuries to their players um you worry about like I think the reason why the bench doesn't worry me so much is because like they have talent at every position on the court so you don't need to do a whole hockey substitution to to kind of re-energize their team um if even if you leave just Draymond out there with the second unit like he covers so many of their mistakes um but if you start to get in some of those injuries and those guys aren't maybe at a hundred percent then that can make all the difference when you do have to play some bench players and then the mistakes that might not cost them uh, some games might end up costing them. And I think the, you know, in the playoffs, it's going to be 48 minutes of either Curry or Durant is going to be on the court for all 48 minutes. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter. Yeah. Or I mean, (laughs) Having those two plus Clay and Draymond to work off of, you know, one of those guys at a time, like, it's just an embarrassment of riches, really. Like, right. I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, I mean, the, there's a certain amount that they can just teams can spot them, right? Like, like before you get those five back in the court, or those four really, as soon as, before you get those four back in the court, you know, they can be down seven with with five minutes to go and that's nothing uh just because of how much talent they have but there's just a certain amount that i feel like if 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 their bench can't can't just hang or 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 hold serve uh that they might face a deficit in in the late in the fourth quarter and that's really against just the best teams i mean there's only a few teams that can hang that on them Um, and i think that's something the rockets would like to exploit is figuring out those lineups uh, that can really make those bench units for Golden State pay um, and build a deficit that they can ultimately ha- hold on to. So should be interesting. That's uh, definitely definitely a big team type of problem, though. Yeah, I was watching one of their games last week. I can't remember who it was against, but they were up big to start the fourth quarter and took everybody out. Whoever they were playing went on a little run and got it down to single digits, and they, they subbed Draymond and clay on together and clay hit three threes on his first three possessions and it was like back to a 15 point game like okay we can take you out again so i mean just having that lethal shooting coming off the bench when you need nine points instantly like no one else in the league has that yeah man uh, anytime you're you're 
pseudo rooting against Golden State. It just it ha- it seems to be that it's always Clay Thompson. Like like he's he's the guy that you just can't account for, uh, given everything else that they have. So uh, an embarrassment of riches there, and we shall see how that that plays out throughout the season. Uh, that was Caleb Jordan. You got your pick between a few teams here. Yeah, uh, let's go to Utah because I love them so much. Um, basically, I, this. I know. <laughs> uh, it's similar, similar to what I said with the Bulls. Um, basically, I, I want them to decide who they want to continue, uh, continue with going forward. Uh, you hit lightning in a bottle with Donovan Mitchell, and uh, hopefully Gobert gets back on the court sometime soon because um, he's one of the premier big men. Um, but then you have all these kind of weird random pieces um they they have Dabo now like Rodney Hood is a good scorer same with uh like Favors can he defend like Alec Burks and so I want them to experiment with their lineup you know they're last in their division um like they're going to be a reasonably high lottery pick uh see who plays well going going forward and uh then try to keep those pieces around um and discard the rest essentially yeah, I think wh- yeah. whether or not Gobert comes back um, fully healthy this season, I think that this could be a let's shut Rudy down in April type of type of season because making the playoffs doesn't, I don't know, it's not really in Utah's DNA to tank, uh, quote-unquote, but but it's not really in their DNA um, either to, to kind of push for something that's not there. So I think, you know, you're way ahead of schedule with Donovan Mitchell. Um, he's the reason that you're even in the playoff picture, so... Uh, you know, why not just kind of pump the brakes a little bit, allow Mitchell to probably run into, um, you know, you don't want to ruin him from a from a rookie of the year campaign or, or allow him to grow. Uh, however, I don't think there's any need to, to push for an eight seed at this point, especially given that team we just talked about. Yeah. And like, at, yeah, at this point, you, like you were saying, what is the point? Like to get the eight seed and do what with it? I think it's just more wear on those bodies than there needs to be they they wouldn't do they wouldn't do much especially not with a healthy Gobert. I think uh, Utah probably should tank. Uh, you know you you see what's happened. They lost their number one scorer this year, and they just look completely inept on offense. And this draft is super loaded with guys that'll come in and be able to score right away. So go get one of those guys. Uh, it's just amazing to me how much losing one player in Gordon Hayward has just like completely flipped that team on its head. Yeah, especially from an offensive standpoint. I mean, like losing Gobert definitely hurts, but Gobert wasn't like you're not feeding him the ball down low to get you 25 a night. So he hasn't been the real reason their offense is struggling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's kind of it's a two way street because you know, you, you, if, if, whether or not you, um, you keep Gordon Hayward or not this season or, or, or he's on your team, you still draft Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, because Hayward's not there because of kind of the, the way the season's, you know, panned out, you have, you have extra dribbles. You, you have, you have this kind of space for Donovan Mitchell to work and, um, it's not always perfect, but my goodness, you watch this kid play for for five ten minutes, you can see uh, that there's some star superstar potential there. Um, so, kind of giving him that room to work, uh, albeit at the price of losing Gordon Hayward, you know, I, I don't think that that uh, that's that's necessarily a bad thing. 
No, yeah, not at all. I think uh, one other thing they might kind of struggle with is they took on Rubio this year. And then you are we a, officially out on Rubio? He's so bad. <laughs> He's nothing. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, they. I mean, he he averaged nine assists a game last year, and he's he's not even averaging five this year. Like at some point, you just hand he's over at Mitchell and say run the point. But it's weird that you know he plays the two and uh, like I said, experiment with lineups, see what works for you, and then move forward. He's more like European Cologne model than he is basketball player at this point. I like that. Dude, he's so bad. He's shooting like 38% this year. It's unbelievable. Looks damn good doing it, though. That's, I think that's, <laughs> that, that is all that matters to, to Rudy or to Ricky at this point. Uh, so we will move on from, from the, the Yaz. Um, good stuff there. Uh, Jordan, have you forgiven us for not including Donovan Mitchell in our top five rookies like two months ago? I don't know if I ever will. That was, uh, that was embarrassing on your guys' part. We, we've said our we can, piece, right, Caleb? I mean, like... Yeah, we can handle it. <laughs> yeah. All right, where is he now? Just, uh, like, top of your head. Where is he now? I think... Uh, I mean, it's hard to pass Tatum. Like, I, I know Mitchell's highs are, are very high, um, and he's obviously had bigger, like, individual performances this season. Um, but given all that Jason Tatum is, is really asked... To, or not, not given all that he's asked to do, but just how well he's he's playing in, in a, like a championship role already, it, it's pretty pretty remarkable. I mean, Mitchell Mitchell's playing in the as we said in kind of this void of of other options. Um, you know, T- Tatum is stepping into to a, an elite role on the elite team right. right away, and then it, it it basically comes down to him versus Simmons at this point for me, and I think Simmons is still. You know, if you had to redraft or you had to, to pick one of those guys, I think Simmons is still probably the guy you want. Um, even though Mitchell's Mitchell's like top gear is pretty damn tantalizing. Right. Yeah. No, I think like, but if if you look back at maybe previous drafts, especially when you look at last year's rookie class, like you have three, maybe five or six guys in this in this rookie class that you would take. Um, over over last year's rookie products, mm-hmm. I agree with that. Yeah, uh, yeah, and then so yeah, we got to apologize to to Kuzma and, and a couple of things. So Caleb, maybe we'll revisit that in in a couple of weeks. Um, but let's let's move on. We just did the Jazz. I'm going to go to the Pelicans here, and I think this might go with something Caleb is is planning for later, but I'm not sure. My resolution is to trade Boogie Cousins. I think I think it's time. Um, the Pelicans sit at twenty-one and twenty. Uh, my proposed trade is to trade Cousins and <laughs> I almost said the late great Solomon Hill as if he's dead, um, but he's never great. He's just like his his career is dead. I think, but he's still on a team and making a lot of money. I say trade those two to the Washington Wizards for Jan Mahimi, Marcin Gortat, and Kelly Oubre. What say you? Yeah, uh, I don't know if the Pelicans answer that phone call. Yeah, I was gonna say the same thing. I don't know if that's enough in return. It's it's what, just, what I'm trading. I'm trading what, what the fifth or sixth best player this year for Kelly Oubre. I'll pass. There's a better offer out there somewhere. It, it's you're just you're just so screwed. I feel like if you're the Pelicans, you're seeing right now. As you just said, Boogie Cousins is playing 
out of his mind. You have Anthony Davis, and you're you're a game over five hundred. And financially, you're going to look the same for a long time. I, like something has to be done because whatever you're doing right now, like I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a world where you're content being the like fighting for an eighth or seventh seed, but um, you know, there's got to be a higher ceiling than that. I don't think it's so much on those two guys as it is the rest of the roster that the Pelicans have to put together. Like it's a, it's a joke. Like I, I talked to Jordan this summer that, you know, re-signing Drew Holiday to the max, like they were going to do it and it's a huge mistake. And I think the Pelicans knew that, but they, they didn't really have another option. Mm-hmm. And, and like those three guys are good most nights. But like, like you said, if that team gets the eight seed, like you can't play Davis and Boogie at the same time against the Warriors. Like they'll get run off the court. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know what the solution is. I, I think a trade, I think you're probably right there, but I think you've got to get more than Kelly Oubre back. Yeah. It's, it's just, I mean, even at the, this peak, right. We're talking about, this is like the best boogies teams have ever been. Um, other than that, that brief start with 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 the Kings under Mike Malone, but they're a game over five hundred, and you're also getting Etwan Moore and Darius Miller both shooting out of their minds from three as role players for for the Pelicans. So, and you know you're you're at this point you're you're rolling the dice with Rajon Rondo. His experiment that experiment I just feel like has a shelf life. This this team has a a clear limits financially, you know, statistically wins wise. I just don't know if anything changes until you you shake stuff up from from what they have. Yeah. Do you think there'd be any suitor with like a blockbuster deal with Drew Holiday, or do you think his contract is so much so that he he is essentially untradeable at this point? I, I think, think he's untradeable. Yeah, I mean, there's so many point guards that that you could say are even better than than Holiday right now. I mean, there's like, is he is he a top ten point guard? Not even close. I don't think so. And but at this point, we know the cap is it's still rising, and so like his contract seems huge, which it is, but and it still will be next year and the year after that. But will a team like in in desperate need to shake things up and in desperate need of a point guard maybe take a take a chance on taking him and Cousins on? Um, I don't know. I guess it's possible in my mind. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, they, they got to negotiate with, with someone that, that wants to take on some of their money if it's not going to be cousins. Uh, they got to figure out someone that they can kind of be a, a harbor for, but they're just, they're not in, in a great position. Um, the, the lease in New Orleans is up in 2024. I think from their perspective, you have to get good, really good by 2020 if you're going to keep that team in New Orleans. Um, so it's and it, Anthony Davis's contract is up in 2021. So, I mean, there's kind of a, a, a timeline here of I don't think you can keep Anthony Davis um, if, if there's not some some infrastructure there that would tell him that that it's it's worth staying. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll, I'll, I'll keep working on the trade machine because that, that, that trade might not do it uh but my thought there was you know you get you get Gortat back to hold serve you have something with Ubre he'd be their best young player <clears throat> outside of Davis uh by far 
and then from there you can kind of you know go a little bit farther in the draft pool and, and, and figure something out. But I don't know. I, I just think something needs to be done because if not, you're just throwing a, a, a ball against the wall over and over. Right. All right, Caleb, you've All got right. a you've got a couple gonna, teams left. To the Grizzlies, uh, I I want to keep this one short, but I I think it's a really interesting team for one big reason and my resolution for the Grizzlies is to just blow it up and I think Marcus Gasol is a super interesting trade piece for some contender uh, I don't know who that would be because most of the teams that need him are close to the cap are already over the cap so it's going to take you know it might have to be a three team deal or or something but I mean the Grizzlies it it's time. I mean, losing Conley 13 games into the season definitely doesn't make things easy. But then for, I mean, it sounded like Gasol kind of ran the coach out of town. And I thought Fisdale was a pretty good coach. So I didn't really understand that. But I, I think you got to move on. I mean, the Parsons contract's a killer too. If they can shed Gasol and somehow that Parsons contract... I mean, they're, they're looking at the second or third pick right now, so that's a huge asset moving forward. Yeah. I mean, at least you have franchise cornerstone Derek Brooks, though. <laughs> yeah, dude. I mean, Dylan, Dylan Brooks, my bad. Yeah. That, that roster is just so weird. Like, they're paying Conley, Parsons, and Gasol, like, a – incredible amount of money and then the rest of that roster is you know guys around two or three million dollars it's really strange yeah yeah i think you're on the money there like and i don't know if they haven't been trying to blow it up already um like they're not a good team so yeah might as well just just go for it there with the uh the tank job um my question to you brandon is who could use marcus all I think the Boston Celtics could use Marcus Saul, but that's in a world where you're moving Horford back to the four, and I don't know if you can play Horford and Gasol at the same time. So I don't think it's there. It, it's it's tough because you're asking a contender to take on that, right? And it's and you yeah. got. I mean, how many teams can take in a 32 year old? right now and say that makes us in the conversation for the teams that can they can they can beat the warriors can any can anybody i mean like by the time gasol by the time the warriors are 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 beatable and by the time you're at this elite echelon level you know gasol is going to be 34 35 so i don't know I, i i think taking that on and 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 bringing him in is is a tough ask maybe the wizards Maybe, but um, again, again, you know, you look at the Wizards roster. The 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 only thing that can really provide is Kelly Oubre, and is Oubre enough? Right, as we just talked about with the Pelicans, um, Oubre doesn't really move the needle enough to 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 gain something back. Yeah. Um, uh, all right, that's all I had for the Grizzlies. Though we yeah. can we can move on. Yeah. I just think you know he's. I think he's out there, and it it will take some maneuvering of contracts and stuff but I, I don't know i think i think gasol could help somebody mm-hmm. yeah definitely um stay tuned because I, I think i think that there is something there and i think that i would bet that 
offloading Parsons is going to be very tough. Um, but Gasol should be should be pretty easy for them, and that's that's kind of the one that I would think uh, think that that they should do. Probably should have waited to to keep a really good coach before they did that. Oh well, uh, Jordan, yep. you're up next. Yeah, uh, let's go with the Spurs here. So go Spurs, go. Exactly. <laughs> they uh, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier with um, Golden State. Is it's hard to give uh, criticism or advice. Um, to a team that knows what they're doing. Um, mine was simply get healthy. Uh, it's clear that they have no chance in the West without Kawhi. Um, and, but yet, I mean, here they are still third. I believe they're third in the West without mm-hmm. one of the best players in the world. Um, pretty simple one there. Uh, not sure what else they could do, honestly, because uh, in order to be this good, without that player uh is honestly astonishing so um i think i think uh just roll with the punches until i can get healthy and then i think kyle anderson's out right now and and whatnot so uh once they get back you can start to do your thing but uh just get healthy yeah i I think a a big part with with san antonio is just looking at the standings you don't want to be on that four or five line uh and have to play the warriors in the second round you want to be in that or in the you know if you're on that five line then you you run into them. I, I don't know. I I think the Spurs showed last year with with playing Houston as well as they did um, that they can they can roll with that. They can they can kind of beat the schemes, but they can't beat the the out and out talent that Golden State has. Maybe they can. We we never really found that out. Um, but I I just think it's important for them to kind of do that careful balance of, you know, sacrifice some wins, get healthy, but then also kind of keep these things in mind going forward. They're probably not the team that would, that would even worry about that though. Yep. Yeah. I think there's no doubt. And you, you said it earlier with Houston, don't show your hand. Like I think, uh, the Spurs are the ultimate team in that regard. So, um, who knows, maybe Kawhi comes back and he's, he's the same player and, um, that might benefit them. I'm not really sure. They do have some different pieces than they did last year, at least some pieces that play more uh, this year than last. Um, and that could, that could maybe help them. Yeah. They, they've been I, able to revitalize LMA, which is, which is huge for, for helping them hold serve. I was just going to say that he's been awesome this year. I think he should probably be an all-star in the West. Do you think he loses votes for the the sound that he makes every single time he tries to get a layup? Yes, I think he loses votes for not dunking when he easily could. Fair. Yeah, it's a layup contest <laughs> for him. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a layup, and like uh, he'd be an amazing tennis player. Like like those that <laughs> that perfect runt uh, like pattern that they get into. I think I think he'd really relish in that opportunity. Right. <laughs> a great length. Uh, cover a lot of ground. Um, yeah, this, the Spurs, uh, with the Spurs, the Celtics, the, the the Warriors, and the Cavs, who we'll talk about, it's just kind of this this kind of minor, minute, um, back and forth kind of you know lineup fixes of your seventh and eighth guys. So uh, they're on kind of the, the 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 embarrassment of riches, spoils end of it. Um, but, but some of these teams that we've talked about are on much different levels, including the uh, Brooklyn Nets, who I'm about to talk about. I've I love the Brooklyn Nets. I, I 
I want, I want, I want to be a Brooklyn Net. Um, I can never live in Brooklyn. I can never like. You have, probably could be a Brooklyn Net. That's true. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm long, right? I could at least, I could get an interview. Uh, that would, that would appeal to them. But yeah, the the Brooklyn Nets. Just my, my resolution for them is to write the book. And and you know, some people, it's like this is the year I'm gonna I'm gonna write the book. I I have all these ideas. I'm gonna write them down. I'm gonna I'm gonna you know start my novel. The Brooklyn Nets should write a novel about how to take a, a shitty, shitty NBA team and turn it into something interesting, even though you're still stuck being shitty. Uh, they they traded everything that they had, every single pick, uh, future. If you go back and look at the Brooklyn Nets draft history, it's all picking late in the first round because they traded um, everything, every pick that they had, like four years down the road so that they could get Darren Williams, Joe Johnson, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett after they were good. Um, so, so doing all of that hamstrung the, the organization and they still have been able to turn it around. Um, just here's the guys that they've taken on basically just, you know, guys that no one else in the NBA wants, but teams are trying to get rid of. So they've taken on Timothy Mozgov, Thad Young, Damari Carroll, Alan Crabb, Andrew Nicholson, Marcus Thornton, and Steve Blake. And they've gotten back uh, Karis LeVert, uh, Jared Allen, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, the first and second rounders from Toronto this year, and still more to come. So they've they've basically taken everyone else, and D'Angelo Russell um, as well, and, and Jalil Okafor, throw that in there. Uh, they've basically taken on everyone else's trash because they know they're screwed and have trade, ev- traded everything so that they can have these kind of fringe players who, who play hard and, and fit into a system um, and ends up being fun to watch so that their fans aren't completely screwed while they're waiting for a team to be good. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That was beautiful. <laughs> I don't know if I could add anything to that. Dude, I, honestly, I think why I love that so much is because some of that resonated with me with kind of what the Bulls did, at mm-hmm. least just on that stretch. Like, take some players who. Like, obviously, they traded Jimmy Butler and should get some decent pieces back and whatnot. But, like, both teams are similar in, in the philosophy there. And, and yeah, like, watching Karis LeVert and, dude, Spencer Dinwiddie. Yeah. He's lighting it. Like, these players are really fun to watch. I'm with you. Like, Jared Allen could be a really cool player to, to see uh, develop. Uh, yeah, dude, they're fun. They're so fun. They ha- they have a GM. Sean Marks is amazing. I don't know if you've he he he's just like this visionary. He he first thing he did at the Brooklyn Nets office is he just put in a maze on the on like the one of the walls just to represent how like this is a long process and you really got to think through every move. Which is just awesome. I would love to stare at a maze every time I went into my office. They they got Kenny Atkinson, great coach. Love his style. He gets he gets guys who know that they've been also ran everywhere else in their careers to play really hard and, and buy into the fact that they get to shoot as much as they want, push the pace. He's turned Lake Chelan's finest Joe Harris into like the next Kyle Korver, probably going to get traded and, and make and or make a lot of money in this summer. Um, how many teams can you say that have a style, a GM and a coach that, that they're fine with for the next, next decade? I mean, that's like, that's like a top tier thing to have in the league and, and granted they're, they're not going anywhere anytime soon, but they're set up, and they're going to be fine once once they start uh, start having their 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 real top tier talent come in. And it's Brooklyn; who doesn't want to play there? Yeah, exactly. I haven't heard you this excited <laughs> about anything, maybe ever. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you you saw me when that pizza came though on Christmas Eve. 
That's true. Yeah. I, and also, I, I got pretty into the uh, the whole process of making breakfast that morning. So food, food in the Brooklyn Nets um, get me jazzed. So I'm I'm stoked. Quick questions for you guys: If you're the, would you rather be the uh, the Brooklyn Nets or the Charlotte Hornets? Uh, same wow. same record. Short term, long term, or just general? Who would you rather be a fan of right now? Oh, fan of Brooklyn. The Nets. Yeah. Okay. How about the Pistons? The Nets. I'm going to say the Nets, yeah. How about the Suns? The Suns. Brooklyn Uh, doesn't have anything as exciting as Devin Booker. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would like to see if if they could trade D'Angelo Russell, honestly. Like, they've worked so well without him. Mm -hmm. That'd be all right, that's food for thought for another time. But uh, I'll take the Nets again. How about the Pelicans? Nets. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking us into this one. Yeah. How, how about the Clippers? The Nets. Ooh. Well, I don't know. Be, I might work, take the Clippers. Working for Steve Ballmer would be pretty fun. They're so cool. <laughs> fun, fun is fun is some. You know, didn't work for that. But uh, yeah, I think I mean all four, all five of those teams that I mentioned have better records than the Nets, and I think their situation is better, or at least you have a case for against them, given how deprived that franchise was. So um, yeah, pretty pretty stoked in the Nets, if you if you couldn't tell. Um, so I'm glad that that came through. Uh, let's move on, Caleb. You are up next to your last team. Yeah, my last team was the Washington Wizards, and my resolution for them is to just be mediocre on the road. Not even good, just mediocre, because they are so bad on the road, and this has been a problem for the last couple of years. They're currently 23-17, and right in the middle of the Eastern Conference, and they are 10-10 and on the road with a negative 1.8 rating. Uh, I mean, last year they were 19-22 and 22 on the road, and in the East semis against the Celtics, that series went seven games, and the home team won every game. So if they could just figure out how to win a couple more games on the road this year, I think they could be really dangerous in the playoffs. Yeah, that's that's certainly true. I'm I'm looking through their uh, their their road losses, and I just within two scrolls of my finger saw that they have lost at L.A. and that's the Lakers, uh, and then at Phoenix, and that's like early season Phoenix that was just an absolute lighting themselves on fire mode. So um, that's it. Just kind of I, I know John Wall said something, or maybe Brad Beal said it. Of just like they come out and they expect to win and they don't play very hard and then they end up losing to these these really awful teams on the road. Yeah. It's really really a problem. I mean, if they were what fifteen and not even if they had two or three more wins on the road this year, they'd be right in the hunt at the top of the East. They went into Boston on Christmas Day and and just wiped the floor. Wet, wet, yeah, wet. and that's probably their best win all year. Yeah, when that team is engaged, I don't think anyone wants to mess with them um, outside of maybe a couple teams. But but yeah, I mean they they have such a clear and obvious amount of talent on their team um, and just a huge gap in consistency. 
uh, yeah. So the Wiz, you know, once once they add Boogie Cousins in the trade that I that I propose, I think they should be fine though. <laughs> we'll see about that one. <laughs> they'll miss they'll miss Gortat and Ubre's seven points a game, but uh, outside of that, I think they can they can make it happen. Jordan, that'd, fin- trade, that'd be crazy. But- <laughs> Stay tuned on your Bleacher Report reports or uh, or your alerts because when that happens in February, you know, just just shout me out. That's all I'm saying. No Shadamas here. I did call it my my pick of the year. I called the Jermaine Curse. Uh, Sheldon Richardson trade. I, I I have that on my belt. Uh, can prove it. So I'm one for one on on outlandish trade demands. All those players specifically. Yeah, those those exact two. No, I think there's like some cash and picks involved. But uh, but yeah, once 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 curse kind of became on the the waivers, I uh, I called that one. Wow, that's that's pretty good, actually. Just saying, just saying. Uh, Jordan, you got the last team for you. It is uh, it is LeBron's team, the Cavs. Yes, the LeBrons. Um, so we were texting about which teams we were going to take the other day, and uh, uh, you literally picked what what I'm what I'm saying here, uh, and that is try to incorporate uh, or see how you can try to incorporate Isaiah Thomas, and then uh, more importantly, who is going to be in your rotation. Because they've had all sorts of people come in and out. Like Osman was on the D League two games ago, and now he's back playing minutes. And um, yeah, I mean it works, but I don't think in the playoffs you can afford to just have a team where uh, you can give LeBron and maybe Isaiah the ball and uh, say go get it done when you're playing some of the top teams in the league. Um, they have a lot of time. So I think that is to their benefit, but um, incorporate Isaiah and then um, see who uh, works the best together in that rotation. Pretty simple one there. Very simple, but it's still extremely important because the, I mean, you you just seen with with the Cavs of just they, they just they run out of guns at the end of of these series. I mean, when you when you go laterally with with Kyrie to, to Thomas, is is there enough there? To, to beat the Warriors because that's what it comes down to and and so they, they really got to figure out um, kind of what his his role is going to be because it's certainly not as a defensive stopper so it's it's and they have you know a good four or five months to figure it out um, and get him healthy but uh, should be interesting well I think the point guard position in general is is tough uh, for the Cavs because they really have no one that can guard point guard unless you want to throw maybe Crowder over there or LeBron, but I mean, that's quite the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You're looking at Isaiah and then when, and, or if, uh, D Rose comes back, he's not a stopper by any means. And then Calderon, I don't even know what he does. He just shoots threes all the time, but, um, yeah, point guards, point guards can give them trouble. There's no doubt. I think John Wall lit him up and then, uh, Kyrie, uh, can easily get going against that team. So, uh, who knows what Steph can do? do? Do you remember when uh, when Calderon tried to get Durant ejected on Christmas? Yeah, I do. I actually thought that was that was smart at the time, and I was like, "Oh man, he's barking up the wrong tree here." But uh, <laughs> that was that was pretty funny. I got a good kick out of that one. Yeah, I mean, he was kind of right. Of like, hey, you know, if you're if you're following the letter of the law, I just I I think he might have been like speaking Spanish to the ref instead of like actually. <laughs> 
doing what he, or like pleading his, or like he was pleading his case, but I just literally think either he was speaking Spanish or no one cared to listen to him because he's Jose Calderon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If that were, if that were someone of, uh, I don't know, larger stature, uh, they might've had more success there, but they, yeah. they not care that it was him. Yeah. Also, you're not going to Kevin Durant on Christmas day after two fouls like that. But I mean, yeah. Calderon's going to get like Omri Caspi ejected. That's that's who he should be shooting for instead of Kevin Durant. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's more on only, his level. Only, people, only foreigners. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, any yeah. thoughts on the Cavs, Caleb? Uh, this is a team that, I, I mean, are we, are, we headed, are we headed for round four, I guess is what, what this really comes down to. Uh, I, I still think it's too early to say. We, I mean, we still don't really know what the Cavs are. Uh, we know that LeBron James is not human. What he's doing this year is absolutely incredible. I mean, he's. I think he's clearly the MVP again. Uh, but yeah, like like you guys were saying, having Isaiah completely changes that team, and it's. It's going to be interesting to see how they use him. Uh, you know, he played a lot with the second unit on on Christmas and was kind of the scorer for that unit. I don't imagine that's going to be the same moving forward. I think he'll be off ball a lot, uh, which I think he'll be very good at because he's a really good spot-up shooter. But I think it's still too early to tell with the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're going to see a lot of them, and, and the things that they do will start to matter more and more. Uh, thinking back about how, how that team was was uh, was maligned for their start this season is kind of funny, given given where they are now. Uh, one team we didn't talk about and we won't talk about today is, is the Raptors, who are currently sitting second in the East above them. Um, I, I, I'd want to get that, that Raptors-Cavs matchup again, uh, just to get the, the just... <laughs> Abysmal destruction of the of the Raptors again in a in a playoff series. <laughs> yeah. It very well could happen. Yeah, but yeah, going back to the Cavs real quick. Like I just think they they have too much. You see games during the regular season get out of hand. Like they're down twenty two to the Wizards the other night, and it's just like they're not going to let that happen. They're not going to leave their bench in for that many minutes during the postseason. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to be that way. I think round four. One one thing with the with the Cavs, it's a lot of Jeff Green, and anyone, any team who has who has leaned on Jeff Green has uh, has had the chair pulled out from under them. Jeff Green is is a is a curse, and uh, we shall. I mean, may, may, he might be have found his perfect home, uh, but there's a lot of history there of Jeff Green disappointing people. He he has played well this year though. Like, he really in, has. In he's, he's, he's in the yeah. perfect team. I really think he is. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. We'll Dwayne has been. Sneaky, very, very good this year. Of late, well. yeah. Mm-hmm. He looks rejuvenated, and I wouldn't be surprised if they cut his minutes back a little bit because I think they're starting to see how important he can be off the bench. He's he's probably going to win, not like a like a finals or a conference finals game for them, but there's definitely going to be like a I don't know a game against the Bucks that he's going to have 28, for, 28 in and, and win it. Right. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, he's still. Yep. Uh, last team for me, and it's it. 
I can't ramp up the passion as much as I did uh, for, for, I guess, my new team, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, but it's the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, and a team that I have, have grown, um, I was going to say fond of, but that's not true. I, I don't like watching them because, because of some of the things that I see. Um, but I watch a lot of them because I own uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Eric Gordon, or sorry, Eric Bledsoe, and then also, thanks to Caleb, Malcolm Brogdon on my fantasy team. So I, I see a lot of the Bucks play. I watch a lot of their games. Um, and my, my resolution for them is to play Thon Maker more. It's, it's gotten to the point where I don't know what the plan is for him. I don't think they know what the plan is for him. Um, if you look at his shot chart, it just looks like splatter paint. Like there's just there's stuff everywhere. There's he shoots in the corner sometimes, and then uh, you know sometimes over the middle, and it just doesn't seem like there's any plan for what they want to do with him. Uh, he's a seven two, super long, can shoot. Kevin Garnett thinks he's an MVP candidate guy, and he's just kind of a, a throw in on their roster. So I, I just don't think that they have any idea of what they want Thonmaker to be, despite. A lot of people, myself included, thinking that this this is a guy that is fairly one of a kind in the league. I would I would agree. I was pretty big on him at the start of the year. He's freaky athletic and plays good defense. But yeah, like you were saying, I I don't think anyone is telling him what to do on offense. Mainly because I think Jason Kidd is the worst coach in the NBA. <laughs> this has gotten a lot of steam over the last couple of weeks that that Kidd is is incredibly bad. He's not good. Like, look how much better the Nets are. Yeah, yeah, also, very true. Yeah, hard to hard to tell, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think Maker is also really young, so it's it's hard to take a kid who literally just came out of high school and only started playing basketball a few years prior and developing in, in a season or two mm-hmm. uh you might have the skill set but those things just take time i think so that might be less coaching more him being a idiot at this point yeah i mean he, he doesn't he doesn't really know what he's doing so so my hypothesis is not just like play him it's it's more like there's a specific lineup that i think can work uh play bledsoe play brogdon play middleton play giannis and play play McCourt because you you have this opportunity where there's four very competent NBA players that can all score and he's just he's the guy to hold serve just hit the open shot um, play a role with those types of players rather than playing with guys who aren't going to get him involved because he doesn't know how to do that on his own yet so yeah. that that lineup is a plus lineup has been for the Bucks all season they just don't use it enough and my whole thing is you got Jabari coming back in a month. Right, and that's going to basically bump Tony Snell out of the rotation. After you have Jabari come back, you don't really. Uh, I, I just feel like there's going to be less opportunities for for Thon to get involved. And if he's not a part of the the regular rotation by then, you're missing an opportunity to get that guy some minutes um, and and some valuable experience where you could play him in a playoff series. Uh, right now, you're basically punting him into next season, which I guess is fine, but. I don't know if you're the Bucks. If that's that's what you want to be doing when you have potentially someone um, that could be I don't know could be could be an All Star. Kevin Garnett thinks he can be an MVP. Wow, I mean yeah. Kevin Garnett thinks a lot of things. <laughs> I don't know how many of them are very well thought out though. The, yeah. the I read the whole quote of what Garnett said about McCourt, and it was it it went from like oh he thinks he can be really good to like that was strange. He said that that McCourt could be 
has really good bones. He says like like that he has really good bones for for uh, for being good someday. Um, so <laughs> Kevin Garnett looks at players and apparently can can identify their bone density and and look at the marrow and decide that that is that is their basis for for being good or not. Kevin yeah. Garnett is a gypsy. Yeah, wouldn't doubt it. Maybe he means like structure, <laughs> like he can he can add some weight to him. That might be it. I don't know. Garnett, I would say he just thinks he has good bones. He's just carbon dating Don Maker's body. Yeah, a lot of a lot of rings <laughs> in there. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I I, I also think um, this is my my Bulls hot take or Bucks hot take. Uh, I don't have any Bulls hot takes. There's nothing nothing to take there. But with the with the Bucks, I think Giannis can shoot. Like I uh, I, uh, I just don't maybe. think I don't think they let him. Oh man, I don't know. Like I he might he might be able to, but the way he is inside 12 feet is phenomenal. Oh, like yeah. when he on there it's crazy. So like maybe that's just like what they've told him to be efficient or how he on his own is being efficient, but um I don't know, he might be able to. There's also like the the mental aspect of it. Like I don't think he's shot particularly well from 3 at all. No. No, his his but, numbers have been bad, and his volume has gone down every year since his rookie year of, of just, you know, when they didn't really know what he was, they were allowing him to chuck a little bit. But just just the way he was playing at the end of the Wizards game the other night, he's, he's shooting from, from 20, 20 feet inside of the arc, shoot, shooting super free because he has all this room, and he just, it looks like he's confident. I, I think it can happen. So I don't know, I don't know, you know, what, what the directive is, if it's, if it's Giannis imposed of like, Hey, you know, I, I don't think I should shoot because I want to develop my inside game or if it's bucks imposed because, you know, we don't want you to develop. And based off of kind of the hypotheses about Jason Kidd, a lot of people worry that that is that's bucks imposed of like, let's not allow this guy to access the one part of his game that might make him unstoppable. And you would think like with Kidd as his coach, he would be telling him to work on his three pointer because that became so important for kid later in his career to like knock down wide open three pointers. That's how kid got a ring. Exactly. So I, I don't know. Maybe Jason Kidd just is a crazy person and doesn't realize what he's truly working with or I I don't know. I, I think the idea of Giannis like developing a jump shot is absolutely terrifying for all the other teams in the NBA. Like he's already impossible to guard. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, if I I'm with you, Brandon. If if I was the coach of the Bucks, I'd be telling that guy to to shoot because he he does look comfortable inside the arc when when he is open. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or like LeBron. Like LeBron has a spot. Like you can close your eyes right now and think of that LeBron on the wing spot where you have. A, you, if he shoots it from there, you have a pretty good sense that you know that that's that can go in. Even though LeBron's not an amazing three point shooter, he has found spots on the floor where he where he can be be helpful. And I, I just don't think they're trying with Giannis. And that might be a thing of like it's really hard to do that middle of the season when that wasn't the plan. So it might be a summer thing, but. I don't know. I, I don't think there's any reason to not do that. You're seeing what it's done with DeRozan this year, taking him to a next level. So I don't know. Hey, I, I, we will find out a lot about uh, about Jason Kidd. I think when the playoffs come, I think that that'll be a time when all eyes will be on him and, and the exposure to his coaching acumen or lack thereof will be uh, will be out there for everyone to see. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's 15 teams. We, we did it. That's it. Nice. 
Yeah. Cool. Do, do we feel resolved? I feel like we solved so many problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah. These teams are like, if we coach, they'd be 82 and 0 next year. Not only would, would these teams be 82 and 0, but now that the, the Brooklyn Nets manual is getting written, that we would have just so many less bad teams. Right. Yeah. I agree. <sighs> I got to talk to, to Sean Marks. Um, that'll, that'll be, that'll be my next email I send. Um, this, this was great. I'm glad that you two got to, to be together. Um, and I'm still very far away, but, uh, but we had fun on this. Oh yeah. Always do. All right, gentlemen, uh, we will do this again. We're, we're, we'll give the people like a, a quarterly update as we've been, we've been good on that so far. Um, so this was, uh, this was the, another section of, of NBA bartenders, uh, this time looking at some resolutions. That'll do it, folks. Uh, thanks so much to Jordan and Caleb for coming on to go through New Year's resolutions for 15 NBA teams. Had a blast doing it. And you'll hear from us again, hopefully around All-Star weekend time. Got some big things planned for that. Uh, the song is called One Fine Day by The Insider. Peace. Peace.